Good evening and welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. It's been a beautiful day and for that we're thankful. We appreciate so much those of you who are visiting tonight. As always, we invite you to come back. We're grateful for the number of folks that come our way from week to week. And we appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for that. Tonight in our study, we're going to be looking at the life of Barnabas. And so I want to call attention to Barnabas. Last week, I think in our study, we were scheduled to look at the life of Pontius Pilate. And it might be the case that we can pick that up a little bit later. But uh, we appreciate the opportunity that we have had thus far to look at some of the great characters of Scripture. And tonight, no exception. One of the great men of God in the New Testament, a fellow by the name of Barnabas. And so what, what I want to do tonight is to take a chronological look at Barnabas and his work for the Lord. And there's really quite a bit of information about this man. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to cover all the material that I have in mind, but nonetheless, we'll look at what we can, and then you can, on your own time, do some more research and study. So I want to call attention tonight as we think about Barnabas. I want to begin by calling your attention to chapter 4 in the book of Acts. And as you turn to chapter 4, you know there are some things that just stand out about the life of Barnabas. His name, as you well know, synonymous with encouragement. And one of the great attributes of some people, they just have the knack of the ability to encourage others. Barnabas was such a man. Barnabas had a tremendous disposition. He was a Christian gentleman. And he was a generous man and a good man, and I would say a gracious man as well. And so as we look at chapter 4 tonight in our study with regard to this man, there are some things, as I said a moment ago, about Barnabas that stand out in my mind. He was a tremendous promoter for the cause of Christ. He was a preacher of Christ and His church. And so we're going to look at that and note his great contribution to the cause of Christ. So down in chapter 4, you remember the church has been established. The apostles, they've already drawn fire for the healing of a lame man in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that Peter and John, after having been reprimanded by the Sanhedrin council, they're instructed not to preach or teach in the name of Christ. They will not recant. They continue to preach and teach the name of Christ. They go back, rehearse these events with their comrades in Christ. They pray that God would bless them with boldness in their preaching and teaching. So the text says in chapter 4, down in verse 31, that they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now look at verse 32. The multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Now back in chapter 2, one of the early traits of the ancient church was their benevolence. The fact that they sold their goods, their possessions, and distributed them to all as anyone had need. That's what Luke said in chapter 2. And so this continues. In verse 33, with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Note if you would, we've talked about the resurrection and the significance of that to the Christian religion. The apostles in their preaching and teaching, they always in, 
they always emphasized or reemphasized the resurrected Christ because, as you well know, Christianity stands or falls on the basis of the resurrection. Verse 34, the Bible says, Neither was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands, houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Then note now verse 36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. There we have the name Barnabas and the synonym here. He is associated with being a great encourager of the brethren. And we'll see that more in just a moment. Note if you would, he comes from the priestly tribe. He's a Levite of the country of Cyprus. And Cyprus was, in, was an island. Uh, some, well, Cyprus was really in the middle of the Mediterranean, about 100 miles from the coastland. And the Bible says that Barnabas had some land and he sold that land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we think about his generosity. In chapter 5, you remember Ananias and Sapphira, they also had uh, some land. They sold that land. They sold their possessions. They kept back part of that. And really they lied about how much they gave. And so as a result of that, uh, they were chided and later put to death. Now turn over, if you would, to chapter 9 very quickly. Look at chapter 9. In chapter 9, we have an account of Saul of Tarsus. He has received letters to go to Damascus to bind those who are Christians, to bring them back bound to Jerusalem. The Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus, and we have... As a result of that, his conversion story. And you read this in chapter 9 as well as in chapter 26 when the Apostle Paul chronicles it and also in chapter 22. Saul, as you remember, following his conversion to Christ, here's what Luke said. Note if you would verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. For three days he was blind, wasn't he? He fasted and prayed. And the Bible says he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. When he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Verse 20, immediately he preached to Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. All who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name of Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose so that it might bring them bound to the chief priest. Verse 22, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. That is, He's the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One of whom the prophets of old had foretold. In verse 23, we're now introduced again to Barnabas. The Bible says, After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, led him down through the wall in a large basket. Saul, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Well, why wouldn't you be afraid? This guy had been, this guy had made havoc of the church, persecuted many of God's people, put some to death. We think about Stephen. And so they were fearful of Saul. And the Bible says that 
When Saul had come to Jerusalem and tried to join to the disciples, they were all afraid of him, did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Here is a new convert, Saul of Tarsus. He was, as the Lord said, a chosen vessel of his. He would bear the name of Christ before many, many people. As he began his preaching and teaching ministry, many, as you would well know, and as you would certainly surmise, many were fearful of him, didn't believe that he was a disciple. And yet here comes Barnabas, and what does Barnabas do? Upholds the hands of this man and helps him to establish himself in preaching and teaching the Christ. And so the Bible says, So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So now Saul has made his way to Tarsus, his own hometown. Turn over to chapter 11. Or I'm sorry, chapter 12. In chapter 12, Note, if you would, in chapter 12 for a moment. In verse 25, well, let me back up and look at verse 19 very quickly. In verse 19, the text tells us that those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus. Cyprus, as I said a moment ago, was located west of the coast. And so, the text says they traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch was the capital of Syria, one of the three great cities in the ancient Roman world. Matter of fact, it was called the Paris of the ancient world. Some 500,000 500, people lived in that city in the long ago. And we're talking about Antioch of Syria. And the Bible says, they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. You remember back in chapter 8 when that great persecution swept the early church and the Bible says the disciples were scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching the word. Acts chapter 11 is now a commentary on their efforts. And so the Bible says in verse 20, some of them were from Cyprus and Serene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 21. And the great results, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The word belief here would be a generic term, which would encompass their obedience to the gospel of Christ, as found in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, when the Bible says the believers were increasingly added to the Lord. And so the Bible says in verse 22 that news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas as far as Antioch. Look at verse 23. Again, a commentary on his great work in the church. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. You know, people have to be encouraged to become members of the body of Christ, don't they? You remember, for example, for example back in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says concerning 
the preaching that took place on Pentecost Day. With many other words did Peter testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked or untoward generation. So they needed to be persuaded. Some 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel on that occasion. Well, people not only have to be encouraged to become children of God, but they have to be encouraged to stay faithful to God. And that's what Barnabas was doing. Verse 24, here we have a commentary on Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. What does that remind you of? Acts 5, verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. So then Barnabas departs for Tarsus to seek Saul about a hundred miles away. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians where? In Antioch, Antioch of Syria. And this became a major hub for the cause of Christ. With that in mind, turn now to chapter 12. Barnabas and Saul, they're, or rather Barnabas and Saul or Paul, they're in Antioch. Verse 25 tells us they returned from Jerusalem. And when they had fulfilled their ministry, they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and some of the other saints, they're in Antioch. And the text tells us in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Barnabas and Saul are, are going to become great servants and they're going to work side by side, hand in hand, in advancing the cause of Christ. Verse 3, the text tells us, Luke said, Having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. So look now at verse 4. And being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, about 16 miles east of Antioch. From there they sailed to Cyprus, about 60 miles off the seacoast. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their assistant. So John Mark is traveling with them. And they're preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. They found a synagogue of the, of the Jews, which would have been a place where they had a ready-made audience to hear the gospel. In verse 6, we find they travel westward to Paphos, about 90 miles from Salamis. There they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew by the name of Bar-Jesus, the son of Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the Word of God. So here's somebody who had an honest and good heart. And then the Bible says that Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So Sergius Paulus was a good man, intent on hearing the Word of God, following God. And then you've got a false teacher who's trying to disrupt his faith and circumvent his faith, as we would say. And the Bible says in verse 9 that Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, you know, you listen to that kind of language and you say, well, that's pretty tough, isn't it? I mean, imagine having somebody say that to you. 
One of the things that stands out in my mind about the Apostle Paul and the first century saints, they were bold in their faith, weren't they? And they were willing to stand up and be counted as they should have been. And we need that same type of boldness in the church today. You remember in Titus chapter 2, well, really in Titus chapter 1, the Apostle Paul sets before Titus the criterion to serve as an elder in the Lord's church. Down in about verse 15, the Apostle Paul says to those who would function in this capacity to rebuke false teachers sharply that they might be sound in the faith. And so, verse 11, the Bible says, The hand of the Lord is upon you. You shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Immediately a dark mist fell on him, went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he, had saw, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now you think about the, mir the miracles that were done in the first century. What was the purpose of miracles? Confirm the word, Mark 16. So they're preaching and teaching the gospel is in men in the first century. They didn't have it in book form. So here is an inspired apostle, inspired people. They're preaching and teaching the gospel. They're confirming, authenticating that message by accompanying signs. And the Bible says that when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga, about 170 miles northward in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now you need to just remember that for a minute. Tuck that away. John Mark leaves their company. And then the Bible says they departed from Perga. They came to Antioch. Again, they're traveling northward, Antioch and Pisidia. They're on the southern part of Asia Minor. This is, this is the Apostle Paul's first missionary tour. You've got a map on the screen tonight, and you can look at that, and you can trace his endeavors. As they left Antioch, made their way to the island of Cyprus, and then they began traveling northward into Asia Minor. In verse 14 and following, Paul preaches on the first Sabbath in Antioch of Pisidia. Talks about the redemptive plan of God, the fact that this was God's amazing plan of redemption and all those who were involved in bringing this plan to fruition. Wish we had time to go through this sermon. We just don't. In verse 42, listen to what the text says. When the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So God's Word finding a home in honest and good hearts. When the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Again, encouragement given. Look at verse 44. Another Sabbath comes. And the Bible says, Almost all the city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. You go back and you look at the Jewish hearts in the first century, and sadly many of those people, they wanted to be viewed by their peers as pious and religious and righteous but they were ungodly, internally speaking. And they resented the gospel, the advancement of the cause of Christ. Matter of fact, the gospel was a threat to their Jewish hierarchy, wasn't it? So they were doing everything within their power to tear down and destroy Christianity. And so we're going to find in chapter 15 
that there are some Judaizing teachers at work, and this really is the backdrop of the New Testament. These Judaizing teachers trying to bind circumcision on those who had been converted to the cause of Christ. So in verse 45, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. The Bible says in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, he said, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. You know, sadly, there are some people, quite frankly, they are not candidates to become members of the body of Christ. They're not interested. You can talk about eternal life and all the blessings that are in Christ Jesus, and they're just not interested. And such was the sad, the sad state of the Jews in the first century, many of those Jews. So Paul said, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I've set you to be a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the idea is that here were Gentiles, they heard the gospel of Christ, and they determined within themselves that they would accept the terms of salvation set forth by the apostles. And they became members of the body of Christ if they obeyed that gospel. In verse 50, the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, expelled them from their region. You remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 3? And he talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he faced in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And then down in verse 12, he said, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Did Paul know what he was talking about when he discussed persecution? Yes, he did. And they paid a heavy price for advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. So in verse 51, the Bible says, They shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So now in chapter 14, they're in Iconium. And uh, the Bible says down in verse 3, They spoke boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Again, why the miraculous? To confirm or authenticate the message that it was indeed the word of the living God. And so in verse 6, well in verse 5 the Bible says that because of a division that existed in the city, part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles, a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Would you have had the heart to have been a faithful servant of God and advance His cause in the first century in spite of persecution. And we look around in our country today and we think about the blessings we enjoy. And I know that we live in a day and time when Christianity has become, in the minds of many, it has, well, there are a lot of folks in our nation today that they just have no use for Christianity. And those of us who belong to the body of Christ, we are enemy number one. They become hostile to the whole idea of Christianity, God, Christ, the Bible, etc. But these guys 
were firm in the faith. They were bold and they were brave. And so the Bible says in verse 5, when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it, fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. Look at verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. They heal a man, and that causes quite a stir. People tried to deify Paul and Barnabas. They wouldn't have it. And so drop down, look at verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, having persuaded the multitudes. They stoned Paul, dragging him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as Paul chronicles all the things that he encountered for the cause of Christ. Talks about being stoned. Amazingly, in verse 20, the Bible says, the disciples gathered around Paul. They thought he was dead. He rose up, went into the city. The next day, he entered with Barnabas to Derby, about 60 miles southeast of Lystra. Now, for the sake of time, I want to drop down and look at chapter 15 very quickly. I want to talk a little bit about some of the problems that Barnabas faced. Barnabas and Paul. Note, if you would, in verse 15. In verse 15... Well, back up for a minute. In verse 21 of chapter 14, the Bible says, When they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. One of the things that the apostles and the Lord Jesus did right up front, talk about the potential for suffering for the cause of Christ. Then try to mask it. And so the Bible says in verse 23, when they had appointed elders in every church, first time in the New Testament we read of elders being appointed in the Lord's church. Not to say that they didn't have elders prior to this. We just have an, an example of elders being placed in positions of authority in every congregation. And the Bible says in verse 23, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia. They came to Pamphylia. There they preached the word. They go down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. They're back in Antioch of Syria. With that in mind, look at chapter 15 very quickly. Our time's gone. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, here's what they said, you cannot be saved. In other words, what they were trying to do was make the gospel an appendage to the law. Or the flip side would be, the law was an appendage to the gospel. When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, what happened to the old law? Paul said in Colossians 2 verse 14, it was nailed to the cross, taken out of the way. So these Judaizing teachers, they're at work. And they are undermining the peace and harmony of the church of Almighty God. Not only so, but they are unsettling the souls of those who became Christians in the first century. And so there's a great discussion that takes place. Matter of fact, in verse 2, the Bible says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now listen, Paul was an inspired apostle. He had the authority to settle it right here. But being the man that he was, he was willing to go to Jerusalem. 
and discussed this with the other apostles and the elders of the church. And so in verse 6 and following, we, we have an account of this taking place. A letter is written, and this letter is carried by Paul and Barnabas back to the saints in Antioch. Now I want you to listen to the contents of this very quickly. Look, if you would, in verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, and here's what they said, the apostles and elders and brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. Now listen to this. To whom we gave no such commandment, had God in heaven bound upon the first century church circumcision and keeping the law in connection with the gospel? Absolutely not. And that little phrase there, to whom we gave no commandment, is very important. There are a lot of things that are going on in our brotherhood right now, and there is no commandment that has been given for it. Let me just cite for you a couple of thoughts real, very quickly. You think about these Judaizing teachers and the fact that they were unsettling the souls of first century Christians. I read just the other day, about a congregation of quote-unquote God's people. This took place last Sunday morning. God's people fraternizing, fellowshipping, and worshiping with the Baptist church. Now, brethren, God in heaven does not authorize that at all. There's no such commandment for that kind of behavior. And when brethren pursue that course, when they're bound and determined to go into denominationalism, the bottom line is, let them go. Warn them. Tell them the course they're on is dangerous, but if they will not cease, let them go. And we got some folks in our brotherhood right now that have become renegade members of the body of Christ and they are destroying and disrupting the peace and harmony that exist in the church of Christ. When I moved to Nashville, Tennessee 40 years ago, and I was talking about this the other day, when I moved there 40 years ago, the church in Nashville, by and large, was strong and sound. And let me just tell you right up front, that's not the case today. And I tell you, it's not the case in Memphis, Tennessee. There are congregations that at one time had been sound works in this city that is in the Mid-South area. As far as I'm concerned, they might as well take the sign down because they bear no semblance to the New Testament church. Somebody says that's pretty hard. No, that's just the truth. And you think about these Judaizing teachers. They were subverting the faith of God's people and there are some people that know better and they're bound and determined to take the church of our Lord into denominationalism, and they're going to do that. And my advice is, let them go. If that's what they want to do, let them go. But please take the sign down. It's a disservice to those of us who want to honor the New Testament and be simply the New Testament church. We need to stay with the book of books. That's it. And you think about how the apostles, the elders 
in the first century dealt with this matter. Listen, they hit it head on. They didn't back up a bit. And we've got to stand firm and true for the gospel of Christ. The only thing that's going to save a lost and dying world is the truth of Almighty God. And the only thing the church has to offer the world today is truth. When we get out of the truth business, we cease the right to exist as God's people. Let me tell you what, when the day comes when I can't defend what the Bible teaches on salvation, fellowship in Christ, the way we worship, I will take my shingle down. I will no longer preach the gospel. We need to step up and realize what we're facing. Barnabas and Saul, Paul, these guys were strong. They were men of great faith. They didn't back up for a minute. We need elders in the church today who are not willing to back up. We need elders in the Lord's church today who will tell preachers, teachers, whomever, you're not going to come in here and disrupt the peace and harmony of God's people in this location. You're not going to be teaching things that are contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. That's plain, simple. And listen, if you don't understand it, see me after services and I'll try to explain it better. Acts 15, very quickly. In Acts 15, note if you would, Then in verse 36, a period of time elapses, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, the Bible says, then the contention became so sharp they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of God. He went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here are two brethren. They have a disagreement. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. John Mark had bailed earlier. Paul said, we're not taking him. The contention was sharp. These guys had a major disagreement, but they did not disrupt the peace and harmony in the church of God. They had their opinions. They respected one another. You know, there are times when maybe we're very vocal about our stand, our position on a matter that is a matter of expediency, a matter of opinion. We have the right to our opinion. And so these brethren, they had a disagreement, but they, again, they settled that disagreement. They went forward with the work. It says something about these men, their faith in God, their love for God, their desire to do what's right and to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Can we have disruptions among ourselves when it comes to matters of opinion? Can we... Can we debate back and forth about certain expedients? Sure. But we're not going to disrupt the cause of Christ. I remember years ago, Brother Guy, or rather, Brother Gus Nichols, rather. Brother Gus was an elder in the church. 
in Jasper, Alabama. He believed very strongly that they needed to build a new building. The other elders didn't believe it. And so he said, brethren, I'm going to make my case one more time. Every man has the right to have his say, but not every man can have his way. And that's true. We have our say. When it's all said and done, we're going to be collectively together on the same page. Thank you for being here tonight. I've gone over time, didn't mean to. Went late this morning, went late tonight. I guess you can tar and feather me if you want to. But again, thank you for being here. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You want to have a quality life today? It's in Christ Jesus. If you're here tonight, you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, you'd be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism. You can enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. God will put you in the church and then be faithful till death. God will own you and crown you. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to His cause, you need to come home, please come as we stand and sing.